following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anshu Khanna. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn, joined as always by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, the Super Bowl is behind us. I was glad you were able to grace me with your presence at my Super Bowl event. But how do you feel with this game now be behind us in the, the NFL season in the rear view? A uh, little, little sad, I'll say. But, you know, I, I think that given the way that game went and how unsexy it was, I would say uh, it was the right, right way to go out. It's like, uh, you know, your senior year of college, sometimes you linger a little too long. That, that's kind of how it felt. Like, that last game was almost a half too long. Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, it was one of the one of the worst Super Bowls from an offensive standpoint that we've seen. I mean, I think we both expected this to be a little bit more of a high-scoring affair. Uh, I think we both expected more out of Jared Goff. But the one thing we did get right is that the Rams were going to rely on Jared Goff. It was They were going to live and die by his arm in that game. And unfortunately, we were wrong in our prediction of the Rams winning. Uh, but but it was Jared Goff. I mean, he just could not get the ball down the field. Uh, you know, they had opportunities. Uh, Brandon Cooks dropped a touchdown. Uh, Josh Reynolds dropped a big one. I, they they had opportunities to win this game. The defense played excellent. Uh, but you got to give your hat, uh, take your hat off to to New England's defense and what they were able to do. Stephen Gil- Stephon Gilmore had had one of the better games I've seen out of a cornerback all year. Yeah, for sure. The Rams. You know, we were talking about it. I, I thought the under would hit. I thought that. I mean, I never imagined it'd be 16 total points, obviously. But, you know, there were yards out there. I think that both defenses were just really good around the end zone. Like you said, Gilmore's pick inside the five and just a couple missed, you know, opportunities in the end zone for the Rams that they could have capitalized on. And one thing I think we both had wrong, especially me, was Todd Gurley. I mean, he just was a ghost in this game. And, uh, you know, you just cannot expect him to get what was it 35 yards rushing negative one yards receiving 34 yards if you had gotten that in like a championship or like a you know playoff fantasy game um you know your season would be over or if you were playing against him you'd be so happy so um that just something happened with Gurley down the stretch and that's going to be a real mystery going into next year and I think it was the ultimate undoing of this Rams team and, and something was up with uh with the way their offense was running for sure yeah, all all across the board, and you know, I think I was, I think we were a little surprised that their defense played as well as it did, especially you know through three quarters. But they they couldn't do enough, obviously, with the offense not being able to produce anything. Zerline misses the field goal late, but you know, only putting three points on the board in a game of that magnitude is not going to get it done. Um, but we have an opportunity at redemption, uh, as you always do in the betting world, and uh, we want to look at what's going to happen in Super Bowl Fifty Four now that Fifty Three is behind us. 
And uh, you guessed it, Anshu. The Patriots are the favorite. You know, our friends at Bovada, they had a great prop sheet for this past Super Bowl. We had fun with that at the Super Bowl party. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we, I think there were probably 20 to 25 props on there. Everybody threw a little down, and uh, that, was, that was great. So uh, appreciate them putting that together. We had fun with the props. But looking at the Super Bowl odds for next year, you've got the Patriots at plus 650, and then it's the Los Angeles Rams right behind them. So the two teams that played in Super Bowl 53 are the most likely, as far as Bovada is concerned anyway, uh, to play in Super Bowl 54. Who who beyond that do you think has the most likely chance of getting in? You see the Chiefs there at plus 800 along with the Chargers, and then you've got Saints and Colts and everybody else. But who do you see as having the best opportunity uh, to make it to the Super Bowl that is not one of the two teams that we just saw playing it? Uh, I mean, obviously the Chiefs are a team to look at, but I think that you know the Chargers and Chiefs both at plus 800 is going to make it tough to pick one of them because of their division. And then there's also the Broncos, and you know they're they're the Raiders are going to be better. I mean, they can't get much worse. So I think that that's it's tough to pick one of those two teams. I mean, obviously you want to pick the Chiefs with Mahomes, but um, tough to just tough to go with them. I, I think the Colts are going to be a lot better next year. Their division's a little bit easier, but they still have the Texans to deal with. So I think when I look at this list, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I do think that the Patriots at plus six, 650 are still the best, but if you're going to tell me to pick a team outside of those top two, I mean, I would probably lean towards the Saints at plus 1,000. I mean, I think that they're going to be a lot better. They're not going to get um, a first-round draft pick this year, but Marcus Davenport, their first-rounder from last year, should be a lot better. This is still a very young team aside from Drew Brees. And I think that that division, although I expect Atlanta to get better, I don't really think they're going to be that good. So the saints at home, um, a team that's so good, you can almost bank six to seven home wins right there. So I think at plus 1000, the saints are a pretty interesting bet. I don't know. Do you have any, any thoughts here? There's some other ones that are a little bit further down the list that I think are interesting as well. Maybe a longer shot team. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you that same question, who your dark horse would be here. I I think the bears at plus 1200 are interesting. I know you're going to hate hearing Uh. that. Um, um, but it's all going to be dependent on, on Mitch Trubisky, and we saw what happened with Jared Goff in the Super Bowl this year. You know, that Bears that Bears defense is, is damn good, and if it wasn't for the Cody Parkey kick, you don't, you don't know. The Bears beat the Rams this year. They beat, uh, I believe they beat the Patriots, did they not? Or they, they, they if lost. Not, they, they lost by a couple points. That was in that. a good game. Yeah, yeah they, they put up points against the Patriots anyway. Um, so I think that they're interesting if Trubisky can get over the hump. He just didn't show enough consistency last year. They have weapons on the offensive side of the ball. You know, we talked on, the, on this show and I think on the leftovers as well about Kareem Hunt potentially having an inroad there to get back into the league. I, you know, if they add somebody like him, a dynamic playmaker, you know, Allen Robinson, uh, you know, looked good at times last year, but they, they they have weapons. And I just think if Trubisky can get over that hump, I don't know if he will, but if he can get over that hump with the defense they have, it, it, I think at plus 1,200, they're interesting. Uh, but who else do you see? I mean, your Packers, interestingly enough, are sitting there at plus 1,800 after a changing uh. of the guard. Uh, the Steelers at plus 1,600, they're probably going to lose Antonio Brown and obviously Le'Veon Bell. Uh, but is there anybody else, you know, kind of in that 1,600 to – two or 3,000 range that you would maybe take a shot on? 
I, I mean, I think the Eagles stick out to me at plus 2,000. Look, they, they're going to have Carson Wentz for a full year. I know they were better without him actually last year, but I just get the feeling that they're going to have a big bounce-back year. Again, you look at a division where a team should win it or at least be close to winning it. There's there's no one running and hiding in the NFC East, um, and I, I do like the Eagles. I mean, I you look at Washington without Alex Smith next year, that should be an easy two win. Sorry, Brad. Um, you know, there's there's just – I, and the, the, you know, the, um, the Giants are basically giving up. I, I mean, Eli Manning is not going to lead a playoff team. It's just doesn't, it's impossible to believe. So I think the Eagles just a year removed from winning a Super Bowl with a better quarterback. I still maintain with Wentz. I mean, I, I think that that, that looks really good. I hate to say it, but the Cleveland Browns at plus 3000 and, and mainly look, these are investments to be clear, not necessarily who I think is going to win, but who you could down the line get a futures bet on i i don't want to say it i'm sure he's not listening but our buddy Murren's 49ers at plus 4500 bringing back jimmy garoppolo they get the number two pick and the number 33 pick in this year's draft um you know they're going to be a lot better i think that that those two teams are are ones to watch maybe not the browns the eagles and the niners though i would look at for sure what about the houston texans at plus 4000 obviously they go on that big nine game win streak after losing their first three last year and obviously they they kind of shit the bed in the playoffs unfortunately I mean they they just did there's really no nice way of saying that pardon my French but they looked horrible against the Colts and I just don't think that I think that they have too much talent to let something like that happen again obviously one of the best receivers in the league and uh DeAndre Hopkins uh Lamar Miller's aging but I think he's still got a couple years left and then you know you have you have other weapons around Deshaun Watson and a great defense so I think that that the Houston Texans again they're you know a lot of people kind of poke fun at the Texans because they are perennially in the playoffs and they never get anywhere. But uh, this is a team that has enough talent to at least be kind of talked about as one of the upper echelon in the league. And at plus 4,000, maybe not a bad, maybe not a bad place to throw some shekels. I also don't think the Seahawks at plus 4,000 are horrible. No, I I don't think either of them are that bad. I do expect the Rams to actually come back to earth a little bit this year. I know that, you know, first of all, the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. And, but mainly second of all, the, the Rams won way too many close games. There's some really good studies done by Justice Muscade online that um, say basically three or one possession games are essentially luck. Like you should basically split those in the NFL and really good teams win by more than a seven point point differential. The Rams, almost all their games were decided by less than a, a score and they got extremely lucky in one score games this year as far as uh, the weight of, of their record in those games. So I think that the, the Seahawks certainly are a team that you have to look out for there. I, I agree completely on the Texans. I totally miss that. How, the, I love, you know, I like the Colts a lot. I love Andrew Luck. I like Frank Reich a lot. I think he's a great coach. I think, you know, they've got a great GM there in Chris Ballard, but plus 4,000 for the Texans to plus 1,100 for the Colts. I mean, there's crazy. There's barely anything separating those two teams. So I, I, if nothing else, they should both be around like plus 2,000. And so that tells me that the Colts are a little too favored. And, and I think that the Texans are, um, you're right. I, I think that there's a lot of negative uh, feelings towards them right now in the public eye. So I agree with you completely. That might be the best value I see actually as I look down this list, um, certainly in the top, 
you know, 20 ish or so. They, they definitely seem like one that sticks out. I'm also looking, you know, I love Marcus Mariota. They did lose their offensive coordinator, Matt LaFleur, but plus 6,000. Again, that division is not running and hiding and they seem to get something going there down the stretch with Derrick Henry. I think that the Titans are interesting at plus 6,000. Yeah. I don't hate that. I think little smock likes it as well. She loves it. She's obsessed <laughs> with it. She's a Jaguars fan. Uh, yeah, clearly. Uh, big cat. <laughs> Uh, so you talked about uh, the Eagles and obviously Carson Wentz hopefully coming back. Uh, the other quarterback in Philadelphia who ended up playing in the playoffs for them is Nick Foles, and he is likely going to be on the move. He opts out. He's going to have to pay $2 million to do it. Uh, but the Eagles still could franchise tag him. I don't think they're going to. I mean, they'd have to give up probably around $25 million, I think is the number to keep him in Philadelphia, and I just don't see them doing that for a backup quarterback. But, you know, he's he's been there in important spots, so you, they may surprise us. But Bovada does have the odds up for where Nick Foles is going to play week one next year, and they're interesting. So they've got the Dolphins as the favorite, tied with the Jaguars, actually. So they like him going to Florida, whether it's in Miami or Jacksonville, at plus 250. And then uh, the Washington Redskins, obviously, with the Alex Smith injury uh, at plus 275. Broncos, Giants, Raiders kind of rounding out the next couple. But uh, do you do you agree with these odds? Do you think there's anybody that maybe is a dark horse to come in and sign them? Uh, and the, all right, so, the Eagles aren't on this list. No, they aren't. And, I, I mean, yeah, that is interesting. I'm kind of surprised they're not at least the same as the Broncos. I, I would definitely mark the Broncos off this list at plus 400. They have Case Keenum. They have the number 10 pick in this year's draft. Everyone's looking them to Drew Locke of Missouri already. Um, chances are they're either trading up for a quarterback or drafting one there. I just don't think that they're going to mess around. And again, they have Case Keenum, so they have their veteran bridge. I don't, I don't see a scenario where Nick Foles ends up in Denver. I absolutely think the Dolphins are an interesting one here, but I think the better call is the Jacksonville Jaguars at plus two fifty. We already know that Blake Bortles isn't going to be there. Um, you know, I just, I think that that makes a ton of sense. The Dolphins allegedly are going for the full tank this year. They've already it, – it sounds like they're going to cut Tannehill if they haven't already officially. I think that they will. Um, and, uh, you know, it just makes sense that he'll end up in Jacksonville. I mean, that's a team that's looking to win right now. Tom Coughlin is a win-now type of executive. Doug Marone's coaching for his job, certainly. I think that that makes all the sense of the world. Washington at plus 275, I could, I could see it, but I think that they liked what they saw in Josh Johnson last year. And I think that they'll end up drafting someone at 14, and that's – just kind of how they'll roll in the next year. Um, we'll see what happens with Teddy Bridgewater, but uh, you know, I, I I would expect Jacksonville here out of all these. I could see going Jacksonville, Miami, or Washington. I think they pretty much nailed the top three. Uh, I don't necessarily. I mean, I I think Jacksonville makes sense. Um, I. I think Miami could make sense too. I, it's, it's a tough call here. I, I think that he definitely is going to get an opportunity to start somewhere, and it's just a matter of whether or not these these few teams that we're talking about decide to try to grab that quarterback in the draft and start from day one like we've seen a couple quarterbacks do this year and last year uh, but I you know I, I don't I don't necessarily think that uh, Nick Foles is going to be a franchise quarterback maybe he will be but the other two quarterbacks in this scenario you mentioned Tannehill uh, you've got uh, obviously Blake Bortles do you think either of those guys get a chance to start again in their career uh, at some, not, not going into week one of a season. I, I mean, I don't see, 
I don't see either of them put it this way. I don't see either of them being like a franchise quarterback ever again. That's for sure. I mean, you might see a Keenum situation with one of them if they put it together, but they're still going to have to put it together again and, and start a couple of games for someone as a backup before they're ever given that opportunity. So uh, definitely, you know, they're, they're both going to hang around the league and start games, but I, I just don't see them ever being that. So, and really, one of them could very well start for Washington. I mean, I, they're in a really tough spot now, um, and they have the 14th pick, so they didn't even lose enough to, like, really put themselves in position to get their quarterback of the future, probably, unless they like Kyler Murray a lot. So uh, I, I just – I think that it I could definitely see Bortles starting next season with a team like Washington. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Bortles because he had so many chances to cement himself as their franchise oh. quarterback. And you think back to that game against the Patriots and, you know, that playoff run for Bortles that, you know, the Jaguars have a good defense, even though they played horrible last year at times. It's just – he has so many chances. You kind of rooted for the guy, or at least I did, and he just yeah, could never sure. get over that hump. And, and same with Tannehill. Tannehill faced some injury issues, but kind of the same the same thing there. And, uh, you know, is Nick Foles going to be kind of a similar guy? He has been at times in his career, been inconsistent. And I just don't, I don't know if he's much better than either Tannehill or Blake Bortles. And he'll get paid like he is. But, uh, you know, we, we saw – Kirk Cousins last year be very mediocre after getting a ridiculous amount of money. So I could see Nick Foles kind of be in that next Kirk, yeah. Kirk Cousins. Yeah, Keenum got a lot, yeah. way more money than he deserved as well. So it, it doesn't even include – think about the other guys. You, I mean, you brought up Tannehill, but your boys, we'll see what happens with Andy Dalton. I mean, there's been rumors that he might end up in Washington. You know, RG3 is out there. Who knows what might happen with him? I mean, they're, they're, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston are both in Tampa. I mean, will, will Fitzpatrick land somewhere else? Um, we, we talked about Bridgewater. Uh, you know, you've got Derek Carr out there potentially as a trade. I, I, there are a lot of different quarterbacks that could, this could end up being a game of musical chairs. So there's no guarantee that, you know, any Tannehill or any of those guys ever starts, uh, you know, is, is a guarantee to start week one for any of these teams. I think that it's, it's going to be real interesting. I, we usually don't see a lot of quarterback turnover, but I think next year is going to be one of those situations for sure. Yeah, definitely. I like the musical chairs reference because there there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks getting second chances with the draft class that we're looking at. There's just not a ton of talent in this this draft class at the quarterback position. You have, you know, Dwayne Haskins who's probably going to get drafted higher than he would in most drafts and, you know, you mentioned Locke and uh, what's the Duke guy? Daniel Jones. Yeah, Jones. So there, there, there's really three guys that you're looking at, and I don't know that Kyler. I, I, well, Kyler, yeah, he did say the other, uh, yesterday, I think it was, that he's going to be participating in the Combine, but he hasn't come out and said that he's definitely playing football yet, has he? No, he hasn't. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it will depend on the Combine and, you know, what guarantees he receives. But you're right. It, we could very well see a situation where there's only three start, you know, three first-round quarterbacks, and none of them are guaranteed to start right away. Yeah, his media tour has been bizarre. I don't know if you've yeah. been keeping tabs on any of that, but I think we have another LeVar Ball on our hands, which is kind <laughs> oh. of depressing. Oh, God, I hope not. I <laughs> I just think that he is, like, so confused with where he's at, and, um, you know, he his agents obviously have tried to get him to, you know, take advantage of that Super Bowl, you know, car wash that they have where – they have to support whatever they're sponsoring and you know and it just got awkward on the dan patrick show and on the rich eisen show really too two of our shows by the way on podcast one but yeah that's uh it, it was weird it was a weird week for kyler murray for sure he's got a lot of work to do yeah i'd say 
All right, well, we're, we're putting a bow officially on the NFL season uh, with that, and I know you said we're sad about it. I agree, but uh, there is more sport to be played, and we're going to move on from football. We've got basketball. Hopefully we have some free agents being signed in the baseball world, uh, but let's move on to college basketball. This is something that we've kind of abandoned here on the show recently, and uh, I think it's time to bring it back. We both love college basketball. March is getting closer and closer. Let's talk about odds to win this year's Men's College Basketball Championship, and everybody's talking about the Duke Blue Devils, aren't you? They're at plus 170. They're the odds-on favorite, but uh, there's a lot of good teams in college basketball this year, so I want to hear, make a case for somebody other than Duke if they can make a run in this tournament. Well, I will make the case for Virginia. At plus 800, they are the number one team uh, in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Uh, super, super efficient as always, but this year a little bit more pace. Um, you know, not, not super fast or anything, but certainly uh, coming off a situation where they will obviously have a massive chip on their shoulders after being the first ever one seed to get knocked out last year. Uh, you know, they, they will have played Duke. They're playing Duke this Saturday. Um, they'll have played them too, probably three times if you count the ACC tournament. Um, they're very much battle tested. They've only got one loss so far. They and Tennessee tied for the fewest losses in the country, um, along with a couple other, you know, mid-major types. But I think that Virginia at plus 800 is an awesome bet. You know, they're likely to be a one seed. I think we talked about this before, but they will likely end up on the opposite side um, of Duke. There's almost no way they end up in the same region, barring a total collapse by one of those two teams. And, um, you know, I just I, I really like Virginia. I think that they're a good futures type bet because of the fact that they won't be in the same region as Duke. And given that Duke is so far ahead of everyone when it comes to odds, they're plus 170 on Bovada. The next closest is plus 750 and Virginia plus 800. So um, I really think Virginia is a very, very interesting bet here at plus 800. I don't hate that. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about Virginia. Obviously, they had the early exit last year. Um which you, you hate to see uh, as, a, as a Florida State fan. But uh, right, I, I have a team for you to look out for. And okay. this might not be a popular choice, uh, but it's Kentucky. And they're just they're, oh, they're yeah. kind of putting things together at the right time right now. They started the year a little slower. I know they lost a lot of guys, as they do every year, as they always have you know a lot of freshmen on the roster. But this is a team that I think defensively can give, te- can give a lot of other teams fits. And they, they have a lot of talent. Uh, as Kentucky always is, they are very young, and they seem to get better as the season wears on with the talent that they have. Uh, so I think Kentucky's a team that, as the season wears on, will be able to give some teams some fits. Look out for Keldon Johnson. Um, he's had a, a solid year at the, at the guard position. But uh, I just think, I think obviously people are talking about Tennessee. Tennessee's the sexy pick in the SEC, but Kentucky's kind of been on a little bit of a run lately, and I just think with the de- defensive play that they have, uh, they could be a team to look out for in the tournament. They're 19-3. and three. They've only lost one in-conference game, and they're right there with Tennessee. So uh, they're a plus 900. You know, you, you look at Michigan and Tennessee as kind of the, the, the second and third best odds. They're tied at plus 750. Michigan's another team defensively that's doing, done very well, and Tennessee has just been on an absolute tear this year. Uh, but Kentucky's one to look out for, and then obviously Gonzaga's the one team to beat Duke this year when they were at full strength. Uh, so Gonzaga, you know, they've lost they've lost a couple games this year, but they did beat Duke uh, straight up, and uh, that, that's something to be said for that, site. for sure. For sure. I, I totally agree with you. I think Gonzaga is a super interesting call there, plus 1,000. They have the guard play. They've got the senior leadership. They've got the NBA-level talent. 
at plus 1,000. I think that they're really good. You know, a lot of people are going to, just to fade a couple teams, a lot of people are going to give Michigan State and Kansas a hot, like a very hard look, as always, because they're brand names. I would avoid those two. I'd avoid Villanova. I think those three teams, uh, you know, plus 1,000, plus 1,600. Nova's plus 4,000, but, you know, the, people will pick them. I think North Carolina is not nearly as good as they've been either. I, those four teams are all brand names that I would generally avoid this year because of you know what they what they normally are the the extra tax that you have to pay because of their brand name and um and the fact that they just haven't done it that well as well this year and they're not the way they normally are i think teams like gonzaga and duke michigan virginia that you i think kentucky's a great call tyler harrow's one of the best players in the country that no one talks about um and you know the interesting thing I think about Kentucky that you didn't mention was while their defense has been awesome, they have the, I think it, the number eight efficient defense this year, but they're, you know, they play it slow. Like this is not a classic Kentucky team that runs up and down and wants to dunk all over you. I mean, they, they are the 216th uh, in the country in tempo. And I mean, usually you see that much more, much closer to like 50 or 40. So, um, you know, that's, that's a really good call by you, I think. Yeah, Michigan State especially. I mean, they've, they've lost three straight. They lost at Purdue, mm-hmm. home against Indiana, and then at Illinois. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. They're just they're falling apart. So the fact that they're still still sitting there at plus 1,000 is a huge surprise. Is there anyone well, Josh, that – go ahead. Josh Langford is out for the season for them. He's probably, you know, maybe their third or fourth best player. So that's a huge loss for them and, and that they have not won since he's been out. Do you have any dark horses that are maybe in the plus 5,000 or more range that you could see making a deep run? Whether it's whether it's winning at all, not necessarily to bet on, but just somebody that maybe is in that, you know, ten to twenty five in the in the rankings currently that maybe could make a deep run in this uh, yeah. this year's tournament. Just from like a you know value perspective, again, if you can get if you can knock down a Final Four team, that would that's huge. So I love Texas Tech. They have the star power in Jarrett Culver. I mean, plus five thousand is fair. They've done really well against some really good teams this year. They've slowed down a little bit of late but that's okay um they have the number three defense in the country and again they can slow it down and play with you with you know their star power which is huge in a half court slow it down game i think texas tech is the team to watch nevada is 22 and one this year they are plus uh what is that plus 2000 so a little bit less but they bring back everyone from a really good team last year that could have easily beaten that cinderella loyola team um bring back almost everyone from that team. That's a really, I think that's a team to certainly look out for this year as well. Um, and then Purdue, they've got maybe my favorite player in the country. That's not in Wisconsin and Carson Edwards. Um, you know, you want to talk about a team that will be battle tested. The big 10 is going to load up in this year's tournament, probably eight teams in the tournament, seven for sure. Uh, they're number 10 in Ken Palm, number three offense overall in the country. So Purdue is certainly a team to, uh, to maybe put a couple shackles on, especially if they wind up in the Midwest and, um, you know, have an easier road there into the Sweet 16. Yeah, I worry a little bit about the Big 12, but Iowa State is a team that I don't think anybody wants to play in the tournament either. Uh, Mm -hmm. They've actually done, uh, you know, recently they've been playing extremely well. Uh, They've won four four out of the last five. Um, six out of their last seven. So I, I think that uh, when you look at Iowa State, they get up and down the field very quickly. They've got a lot of athleticism. They're a team that I've been keep, keeping an eye on as well, even though you know you talked about Kansas and, and Kansas kind of having a little bit of a down year, and really it's been a down year for the Big 12. But if there was a Big 12 team that I could see 
maybe making a Sweet 16 Elite Eight run. Uh, I think the Cyclones have uh, an interesting roster that, that they've put together, and they get up, like I said, they get up and down the floor, and they score a lot of points. Uh, so yes. there's a few, there's definitely a few out there, uh, and we're going to talk a lot more college basketball. On this show in particular, we're going to talk a lot more NBA basketball. But before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends at Podcast One, uh, and specifically uh, the NASCAR, which we never have talked about on this show. But as you (laughs) rev up your engines with the start of the NASCAR racing season, Podcast One is your pit stop for the best car podcasting around. Team up with Adam Carolla and friends on CarCast as they explore all aspects of the automotive space from car buying to news about the industry. Then dive into motorsport talk with Shift and Steer. Then stop by Spike's Car Radio as comedy writer Spike Fairstein hosts a roundtable with his celebrity friends about all things cars. Download CarCast and Spike's Car Radio every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Anshu, are you in the NASCAR spirit right now? Oh, hell yeah. I have, you know, rubbing is racing, our buddy Zach tells me, so... I uh, yes, I'm always in the NASCAR spirit. How about you? I mean, I am now. Uh, but before I get <laughs> get my NASCAR on, we've got to talk trade yeah. deadline. <laughs> we've got to talk some trade deadline. Obviously, the trade deadline uh, here on Thursday, and uh, it was it was wild. I, they they had more trades than last year's trade deadlines by last night. So we're gonna we're gonna talk specifically how this affects fantasy basketball value for some of the big name guys that uh, were on the move as the season kind of gets close to the all-star break next week. And uh, obviously, like I said, a p- few big names on the move and, and see how this affects them as we look forward. So, Anshu, let's kind of go through these trades. Uh, the, the the one that we talked about offline today was the Markel Fultz trade. So uh, he goes to the Orlando Magic for Jonathan Simmons, a 2019 second-round pick and a 2020 first-round pick that's top 20 protected. Does this Is, is Markel Fultz going to come back this year injury-wise? And if he does, does he, does he bring any fantasy value to the table for an Orlando team that – you know, is kind of in need for in need of a point guard. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's really hard to commit to picking up Fultz. Usually, in most leagues, I mean, he might be on an injured reserve spot that you can stash him away on, I guess. But I just I could not possibly trust him at this point. Um, you know, they're just the Magic are too. They're not going to run up and down a ton. Like I, I just don't know that Markel Fultz is going to play a huge role for them um, when he gets back. I think he's more a guy to maybe look at next year. Um, you know, they, I mean, there are opportunities if he does come back because that team is kind of a disaster. Uh, you know, DJ Augustine running the point for them, so certainly room for a player like him to to get in there and and you know play with Terrence Ross, but. I don't know. I, I don't see there being a lot of value there for Fultz. I, I don't think you're a huge fan either, if I'm not no, mistaken. No, man. I, I think <laughs> we talked about how big of a bust he could really end up being. And it, not just the injury. And uh, the injury has been kind of bizarre in, in, and of, in its own right anyway. I just I don't know what to think of Markel Fultz at this point. But the fact that the Magic were willing to take a chance is interesting, if nothing else. And he'll get minutes if he gets healthy. So, you know, his fantasy value, I think, improved by him going to Orlando if he can get on the court based on what he was doing in Philadelphia and just really not getting minutes, not gelling with their lineup. He should get minutes in Orlando. And Orlando, for whatever reason, they've, they've clearly made made a point to try to get guys with length. And Markel yeah. Foltz kind of fits into that uh, that vibe and you know, he hopefully can develop into a good defender and, and at least a good attacking attacking the rim scorer, which we haven't we just haven't seen. His jump shot's not there. I, just, I don't know. I, I don't see it, but... 
like I said, I, he'll get minutes. He, he's he, he puts up the stats that you know, not necessarily a, a huge scorer every night, but he does put up. You know, he, he'll register some steals. He'll get a couple blocks here and there. Uh, it, maybe he can get can get some fantasy value if he's healthy enough too. But I think it remains to be seen for sure. I think that the key takeaway from that trade is that you know. The Magic did, yes, they got Fultz. I don't, again, don't expect Fultz to play any real role this rest of the season, but they traded Jonathan Simmons in that deal, and that means with Mobama being out for the season that Jonathan Isaac, your boy from Florida State. He's been hurt a bunch too. He has been, but he's starting to come on of late, and if you're in a league where you have a bunch of categories to fill, Jonathan Isaac's the dude, man. And, and I mean, a couple years ago, remember, this was a top-six pick taken just ahead of Laurie Markkinen, I think Jonathan Isaac is definitely a name to watch out for down the stretch. He should get a bunch of minutes, um, and uh, you know we'll see what his potential is. But usually, even if they don't play super efficiently, that doesn't matter as much for fantasy. Um, you know, unless you're in like a percentage league, at percentages league with shooting. I mean, I, I think that Jonathan Isaac's a name to watch out for for sure. Yeah, he's got crazy athleticism. You know, I love him. Uh, all right, let's yeah. talk about the big one, Marcus Sol. Headed to the Raptors. This was a blockbuster for sure. They send uh, C.J. Miles, Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, and uh, 2024 second-round pick. Uh, Mark Gasol, I mean, he's still got it. This is an all-star caliber center, a true center. Uh, and he's I, – I, I don't – you know, Valanciunas has been a little more inconsistent this year. But he's been pretty productive for Toronto. So I, I, they, they clearly wanted to move move on from him. And, uh, you know, bringing in Mark Gasol gives them another dynamic. But – what does it do for Gasol's fantasy value? Does it harm it at all? Because he was pr- very productive in Memphis. Hey, call me crazy. I like Valanciunas more than Gasol. Uh, I, I think coming, I mean, in fantasy only. But look, this is a Raptors team with designs on, you know, obviously making a big playoff run. Um, you know, it's all, they've poured it all into this season and trying to keep Kawhi. And, you know, with the way that Marcus Gasol's aging, I mean, y- y- they need to protect him. So, yeah, he's going to play minutes in the fourth quarter of close games, but I expect those minutes to be very calculated, very sparse. And I think Valanciunas, meanwhile, on Memphis, they're going to see what they've got in this guy, and they I expect him to get a bunch of minutes. So I like Valanciunas' value going up here, and I think that Gasol is probably takes a little bit of a hit. I mean, he's going to have some attention taken off him, but he wasn't exactly playing with scrubs in Memphis. I mean, Mark, Mike Conley certainly really good, and he was playing awesome with Conley over the course of his career. So I like uh, I like Valanciunas here with this trade more than Gasol. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a different dynamic. You think about Kyle Lowry, who's more of an attacking type of a point guard than Mike Conley, who's more of a distributor. Um, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how they mesh, and it could take some time for him to kind of fit and gel with that Toronto team. They've got a lot of mouths to feed, and you know, in, in all reality, Toronto could find themselves, you know, in a very peculiar situation if uh, Kawhi Leonard opts to leave after this season and and go explore free agency because they they would have Lowry and Marcus All on an expiring contract, which would not be good for Toronto uh, as as they try to compete this year. But but for this year. You know, going all in, it shows Kawhi that they they want they want to do this, and 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 they have a real chance at least to make it to the finals this year. 
All right, let's let's continue to move through these. Um, uh, we're we're gonna skip the Avery ba- Avery Bradley trade. I don't think anyone really cares about that. But what about your boy Nikola Miritich? He ends up going to Milwaukee, your team in the North, and uh, they, they send Stanley Johnson and Denver's 2019 second rounder, Milwaukee's 2020 second rounder, Washington's 2020 second rounder, and Washington's 2021 second rounder. Woo, that's a lot of picks. Uh, but yeah. they get Miritich in return. The Pistons get Thon Maker in this deal. Who do you think gets the biggest bump fantasy-wise? Well, Don Maker was basically a zero. Now he goes to Detroit where they're going to let him ride. I mean, I, I know they're only a game and a half out of the playoffs right now, but you got to think that they make this deal thinking about using Thon Maker a ton um, in place of Stanley Johnson and you know, looking at what they might have going forward. So he probably gets the biggest bump from what he was, but the most valuable piece here by far is Nico Miritich. I mean, I love this trade for Milwaukee. Are you kidding me? You give up a bunch of second rounders and Thon Maker and what Jason Smith for Nico Miritich. I mean, I think that that's that's an incredible win for them. If you're in a category league where you need three pointers, I mean, Miritich is obviously a stud um, in that way. I think that he is going to be freed up for so many looks playing off of Giannis and you know Bledsoe and you know Malcolm Brogdon. This team has almost almost too many mouths to feed suddenly. Um, just in terms of like slightly above average talent and uh Giannis is just he's just going to set them up so well so I love this fit from a basketball standpoint I love it from a fantasy standpoint he's probably going to get hit a little bit um he'll, he'll probably take actually yeah probably a little bit of a dig here on Meritich but he's overall I think that he's still certainly worth keeping and, and it's fun because you know his his ceiling is super high with this team I love the Bucks, you know, completely going off the trade topic right now. But Giannis was obviously a captain for the draft of the uh, All Star game. Oh, he yeah. took Chris Middleton before Anthony Davis. You have it's to love such that. Such an awesome move, like in the second round, so ahead good. of like everybody. It was amazing. I Giannis, it. I don't know if you, yeah, you watched that. Giannis was absolutely awesome during that. He's he's, in a he's league... slowly becoming my favorite player in the NBA. Totally. Actually, yeah, quickly, because there's every other guy is a diva, and it just seems like, God, he, he has no interest in leaving, it seems like. And, and you know, it works both ways. Like, the Bucks are clearly trying to surround him with talent. You know, like, they've they traded, they made a big move for Bledsoe, they make the big move for Miritich, they've traded, they've signed Greg Monroe in the past, they went for a big-time coach. I mean, I, I think that they've done all they could to surround him with good players and uh you know the feeling is mutual it seems like and it's paying off i mean they're they're killing it this year yeah, supply, sure. i think they had 50 points in the first quarter yesterday so yeah, uh, they they're do. doing okay uh all right this one i I'm, I'm interested in so, to hear your your thoughts on harrison barnes leaving uh dallas to go to the sacramento kings do you think justin jackson provides any fantasy value for dallas and and what does this do for harrison barnes value uh well i would expect harrison barnes value to to go up a little bit at least because he's you know that's a situation where although Sacramento is certainly competitive I mean they're above 500 they're looking at a playoff spot right now amazingly um but they trade for Harrison Barnes in part because they I think they want him they're interested in him longer term I mean it's not unlike the Bulls with Porter where you know the Kings have no misgivings about what they are they know that they're not going to be a huge free agent destination so they go ahead and they trade for their free agent essentially in Harrison Barnes and I think that Barnes has been on some good teams obviously some champ as champion and I think that this will you know I think Harrison Barnes is going to have every chance to get a bunch of burn on that team and uh, he's going to be a veteran presence for them and I expect him to to have an uptick in uh, production and definitely in counting stats Um, for Justin Jackson I mean the Mavs look they 
all the talk about Porzingis and how fun they will be that this is a 2020 team, not a 2019 team. And, um, you know, I, I think that Justin Jackson's going to get a lot of chances there too. In fact, you could argue that he'll get more chances on Dallas than he would have on Sacramento. So this is an interesting trade all around. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense because you see what you've got in Justin Jackson and you know, he's only a second year player and he's an, obviously an old second year player having played four years at, um, at North Carolina. So I think that, uh, you know, Justin Jackson's uh, a really interesting fit as far as being a useful fantasy piece now going forward. Yeah, it sounds like Zebo could get a buyout there as well, so Randolph could end up on a championship contender. Uh, we're talking about the Kings, so let's stay with them. They actually uh, get Alec Burks from the Cavs as well in a three-team trade with Houston. Iman Shumpert will go to Houston, which I found kind of peculiar. I thought there was all this talk that Houston wanted to acquire Alec Burks, and then they yeah. end up in a trade, and they, they were pushing hard, and then they end up in a trade where Alec Burks is involved but they don't end up getting him, and they get him on Shumpert, of all people. Like, Amon Shumpert is one of the most streaky, inconsistent players, having known him very well when he played for the Cavs. I just – I don't see what they're doing there. I, I think Houston, of all the teams in the NBA and how badly they needed to improve at the trade deadline, did the absolute worst at navigating through it of any other team. I agree. I was going to ask you about this trade specifically, but I just – I don't get what the Rockets are doing. Usually I defer to Daryl Morey completely. I, it just feels like they don't know what they are without Chris Paul. James Harden is so is just carrying them. And they, they're just hamstrung by their salary right now. And I think they were trying desperately to get under the tax. Um, they you know, remind they were, me right now of the late years of Kobe Bryant with the Lakers when the yes. Lakers were horrible and they were just like making desperate moves. Like they bring yes. in Pau Gasol and they just – they're horrible – and like you just give the ball to Kobe and let him shoot, and that's what they're doing right now. James Harden's amazing; he's scoring the ball at will, but they suck otherwise. They're terrible. I mean, they're right now. Look, they they bring back Chris Paul. They've just brought back Chris Paul. They're going to get Capella back, so they'll be a little bit better. But you know, basically, what they're saying is we are totally tied. Our hands are tied. We basically have to roll into this postseason with what we had last year and just hope that we get a little luckier. I mean, they, you know, you brought it up a bunch of times, but they, they did take golden state to game seven. They had them on the ropes for two games and, you know, they just couldn't get it done. So they're hoping this year is a little bit different. I, I don't see that at all. Um, I, I really have no idea how they can see that. I think Daryl Morey is smarter than that, but I did expect them to be a little bit better, um, you know, around the margins of their roster. I think there are some good buyout options here. And, uh, you know, they've put themselves in a place where they can't do that. And I, I actually thought of anything, Alec Burks would have been a nice fit for them. I mean, you Absolutely. can speak to it better than I can, but well, I think Alec, that he'd be better than Schumper. He's a solid defender, and he he's actually, when he wants to, he, he can be a very productive scorer. He's been basically the Cavs' second option of late. And, you know, I, I loved having him for the few weeks that we did, but, you know, I knew he was going to try, they were going to try to trade him to a contender. And, you know, the Cavs get a second round pick for Rodney Hood, essentially, and nothing else, because they let Nick Stauskas go. Nick Stauskas go in this trade and then he moves again twice before the weekend's over but um, <laughs> yeah. but the Cavs get Marquise Chris who's 21 years old was very productive in Phoenix and you know he's fought through some injuries Brandon Knight who's a you know they, that's a salary dump for, for Houston but they also get a Houston first round pick that will likely be in the 20s but still it's a first round pick that has lottery protection uh, so I think that 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 pick will probably end up standing because I think that I think the Rockets will end up making the playoffs but oh, yeah. I think the Cavs did pretty well in this deal they did awesome, I thought, because Houston, you know, teams shy away from certain teams. Sometimes, like, oh, everyone kind of, you know, in the back of our mind, we think of Houston as this top team, but they're only the fifth seed right now. They're tied with San Antonio in terms of 
their 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 percentage points up on San Antonio. But you know, there's a real scenario where they could end up being the seven or eight seed in the West, especially if something happens to Harden or if Paul misses some more games in the second half. I mean, there's a real situation where the you know the Rockets might end up being like the 21st or 22nd pick. That pick has value, like a ton of value, and especially for a Cavs team that's just looking to you know, stockpile assets. I think you get Chris, again, like you said, very young, you, who knows, you know, tons of ability, just never really put it all together. And then you have, you know, you get that maybe 22, 23 pick where you can take another shot on somebody that's falling down the board. I, I Plus you have your own first round pick. I, I think that the Cavs did very well. Yeah, I mean, they get rid of Kyle Korver, Rodney Hood, Alec Burks, who they traded for, and then, um, who am I missing? Uh, George Hill, basically yeah. this year. And, they get six picks in return over the next few years. I mean, they're stockpiling assets that they lost when they had LeBron. So you got to respect what they're doing. Uh, the one peculiar move that they did was the big contract for Kevin Love if they knew they were going to be in tank mode. But I guess they were trying to stay they competitive and keep the that. fans happy. I, we'll see. We'll see if they can. All right, let's, get, let's touch on a couple more before we close things up. I want to touch on the one that your Bulls made, Otto Porter. I mean, I, I think this does a lot for his value to bring him to Chicago. But I actually love this trade by your Bulls. And – You've got to kind of like it, especially after all the terrible moves they've made over the last few years. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I liked it at first, but then I you know John Paxson was on radio today, just making a total ass out of himself as is tradition, and it's like God, either they just lucked into this or the Wizards just fleeced them, and you know I but I, I do think it was a good move. I mean they give up. Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker, I mean, those are zeros for the Bulls going forward. Again, they know, the Bulls know, They this is an admission, They a tacit admission, which they came out and said that, you know, they had no chance with any free agents, which is a sad state of affairs for a proud franchise, you know, or a once proud franchise, that they knew that they had no shot at any of these, whatever, eight awesome free agents this offseason. Which is unfortunate because they've got a young pretty pretty solid roster when you look up and yeah, down it right now for sure i mean you look at you know markinen carter chris dunn you know whatever he's still somewhat good zach levine and then you've got this top three probable probable top three pick coming this year and you know and porter now I, but no one's gonna want to play with it because of the total shit show that is their coach and gm situation so you know, it is what it is, but I think that trading for Porter, while it precludes you from getting a free agent, I think it was pretty self-aware, even though they put themselves in this position, um, in terms of getting, like, a pretty good player. I mean, Otto Porter immediately becomes easily their most accomplished player, and, you know, and, and I mean, he's still pretty young. He's got, yeah, he's way, way overpaid. We've talked about it many times, but two years left on that deal, and, um, you know, maybe he's a longer-term fit for them. I think that basketball wise he fits fine and you know it's not like trading for that salary is is something that's going to keep them from doing anything else you know it's not like you know it's it's not going to keep them from getting boogie cousins or something because those guys just don't want to play in chicago so um to the extent that that you know this was what they could do i think that they did the best they possibly could they didn't give up a first round pick they didn't they probably won't even end up giving up the second round pick um given the protections on it so I think that it's fine. I think that fantasy-wise, Otto Porter's stock skyrockets as long as he's actually playing, which we'll see how much the Bulls play him and how much they just sit him and tank. But I like I like the basketball fit for the Bulls. I agree. Let's talk one more blockbuster. So the Tobias Harris deal was one that I was not expecting. This The, the Clippers came out and said they weren't going to move him at the trade deadline, and then here we are. He, he's on the move to Philadelphia. 
So they're creating, uh, I guess, what they're calling a big four there. Tobias Harris, I mean, just kind of getting back to fantasy basketball, he's one of the most productive fantasy basketball players out there. He was, I think, number 24, at least on our scoring system overall in the NBA, and now he goes yeah. to Philadelphia, and I actually think this hurts his fantasy stock because there's just, again, too many mouths to feed in Philadelphia. I mean, I think he's going to be a very good player for them, and he'll help them overall, but from a fantasy perspective, I think Tobias Harris gets hurt here. Uh, totally. I mean, I, I think that his so his efficiency rating is as high as it's ever been, but that is at also a career high in usage. And, you know, when he goes to Philly, that usage rate is going to plummet. I mean, possessions ending with him shooting or assisting are going to just go right down the tube. So, you know, you're around you're surrounded by Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons and obviously Joel Embiid, but especially the first two. I just don't think the ball is going to be in Tobias's hands as much. I, I think you're going to see kind of like a, you know, Clay Thompson-esque role for them, but he's not going to score as much. So that's just kind of what you got to deal with. Like, it's like a weaker big four. And I, I mean, Clay Thompson's already just kind of fringy as far as like, not fringy, but you know, he's, he's not like a super duper star in fantasy. And I think that that's what you're going to see out of Tobias Harris and, you know, I, I think that basketball-wise, it makes a lot of sense for Philly. But from a fantasy perspective, I'd be looking to dump Tobias Harris ASAP. Yeah, I'll trade him to you. Um, Boban Marjanovic <laughs> uh, is in this trade as well. What do you think of the two towers with Embiid and Marjanovic? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love that. I mean, Boban's Him awesome. and Tobias Harris are close. I mean, I, I yeah, don't see any of that, But, yeah, they're, they're close buddies. Uh, so you, you see some, some friendships Toby. are able to, to, to stay intact here at the trade deadline. Others like Thon Maker and Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, did not. But uh, – you know, that's that's what this league is right now. It's a business. You saw all the, the drama with Anthony Davis that ends up being all for naught. So the Lakers pretty much stay intact. They had Reggie Bullock from the Pistons, and I think it was Mike Muscala was the other gentleman that they added here at the trade deadline. But Traded uh, Ivaka Zubak over to uh, get that. I actually think that was a terrible trade for the Lakers. They trade I Beasley agree. and Zubak, and they, they, they bring in Mike Muscala. I, I just – I don't see how that helps them, you know – they, it seems like it's a possibility that they're trying to create a roster spot for Carmelo, but Mike Muscala kind of similar as far as as, as the game that you're going to yeah. expect out of an older Carmelo. I don't. I just what the Lakers were able to do compared to what the aspirations were at the trade deadline. I mean, you you have to say that's an epic fail. Oh yeah, the, and they're oh, probably the, going to lose out on Anthony Davis at this point. But the, I, I do like the Pelicans troll though. I love what the Pelicans did. Absolutely love it. I first of all, the Lakers are the huge losers of the trade deadline. No question. Them and the I mean, Rockets both. I, yeah, but the Rockets at least, you know, whatever. It was going to be like a little bit of a, you know, a slight upgrade here or there. The, I mean, the Lakers went from we are going to trade for Anthony Davis and we're going to be, you know, a dark horse to win the West, give it with like a, you know, an injury here or there, but at least set ourselves up for next year to what the hell are we doing? Are we ever going to be able to put someone next to LeBron? Are we going to waste this whole era? And, you know, will Cleveland be the one being the last one laughing here? You know, like, I, I think that it's definitely a possibility. And I, I, I hate the Zubak trade for the record. And I, I just, I would pick him up, by the way, in fantasy. I think that he's got a chance to step into some of those roles that were vacated by the guys the Clippers traded. But well, I, him, I, both I, him and JaVale McGee, because Zubox was basically taking minutes away from McGee in L.A. Sure. I mean, they were basically splitting the center minutes. I, I think JaVale McGee has a real opportunity now to become, 
you know, their their primary option at the center position. And he was actually starting to come on of late in fantasy anyway. So now Zubac leaving, you know, that's really going to free up some minutes for McGee. And McGee, when LeBron is on the floor, is at his best. And now LeBron being back healthy, I think, will help his stock as well. Yeah, for sure. That's true. I But do you – I wonder what's going to happen. So the Lakers, as of right now, this exact second, are a game and a half back of the Clippers – for the eighth spot. I mean, I think the Clippers clearly are not going for the win here anymore. I mean, they, they trade their probably their most productive player this year, obviously, in Tobias Harris. So they're likely to slip. Um, you know, Sacramento's just on the outside looking in. I don't see them sustaining it. So maybe the Lakers slip into that eight or seven spot if LeBron stays healthy and is going for it. But, you know, this is this is a disaster for the Lakers, isn't it? Like, just a total disaster, even if they add Carmelo, and maybe even especially if they add Carmelo. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and LeBron came out and tried to downplay everything with the trade deadline and all the rumors, and he said there's nothing in this league that I haven't that I haven't already done oh, that or got that I, that I don't have. And, you know, it's I, I'm over him. I like I don't I just I I don't care but I it's fun to watch the Lakers you know just get absolutely trolled by the New Orleans Pelicans and you know the Pelicans will probably end up being better off because of it we talked about this on the leftovers this week if you you know want to hear a little bit more about our thoughts on you know the whole Anthony Davis saga but I I I think that Boston is is very interested Davis doesn't necessarily want to go there which could affect you know Boston being willing to part with somebody like Jason Tatum. But if, if New Orleans can get a legitimate star in the making and Jason Tatum as a centerpiece of a deal, you know, that that's probably as good or better value than what the Lakers were going to give you. And you don't trade him to a team that essentially, you know, you accused of tampering and they're in the West and, you know, you, you don't want to see him go and play for a team like that as opposed to going to Boston, which is, I guess, less of a knife to the back. I guess so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I, I think that it's it's a huge loss. So like, if not the Boston Celtics, then somebody else is going to step up. And I, you know, it's very clear that Dell Demps wants nothing to do with trading him to the Lakers. Maybe he ends up in L.A. down the line, but by that time, LeBron's 36 years old, and you know, there's a very good chance that he's broken down. I, I think that, boy, that I, this was a really tough couple weeks for the for the Lakers and their fans, and uh, you know. Good, good for the good on the Pelicans, and hopefully it sets a precedent that other teams will follow as well. Yeah, ironically, they end up beating the Celtics on a buzzer beater by Rondo <laughs> tonight. <laughs> but but it's going to yeah. take a lot of a lot of those those types of wins against you know tough teams to get the even into the playoffs, let alone co- competitive in the playoffs. So yeah, I, I, they're in a tough spot right now, and I don't know. I mean, it's getting more difficult for LeBron to to attract free agents to come play with them and. You know, the big names don't necessarily want to. So uh, it's it's fun. We're going to talk a lot more NBA as this season draws out. And uh, we're going to definitely do some uh, all-star game or all-star game and all-star weekend futures next week, which could be fun. We've got the dunk contest, the three-point contest, the skills competition. So we'll talk about all that on next week's show. And uh, we've got a lot of basketball and, and we'll talk some baseball futures coming up here in the next few weeks as well. Uh, but aren't you? We this was an action-packed show. We we wrapped up the NFL season. We talked college. We talked NBA trade deadline. Was there anything that was just eating at you that you had to talk about on this show before we let our listeners get to their weekend? Um, no. I was going to ask you about <laughs> the, there are Grammy odds on Bovada, but I will let the listeners go ahead and check those out for themselves. Let, let's just do one. Let's do one. All right. Let's see. What is it? Uh, Artist of the year or like best album? 
Yeah, let's go best. Uh, all right, so it's this Saturday. So subjective um, too when you think. I about know, it. but uh, all right. So record of a record of the year. There's a a clear favorite, and it is This Is America by Childish Gambino minus one fifty. Shallow by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper is plus one sixty. Give me that. All the stars. Yeah, over Kendrick Lamar, all the stars, Cardi B. I know that your beloved fiance will want. I like it. Plus fifteen hundred. God's plan by Drake, Steven, plus eighteen hundred. <laughs> the middle for Zed, that's Steve, plus twenty two hundred. That's so great. So you could literally pick somebody that we're friends with that would pick any of these albums just based on their terrible <laughs> music taste. Give me that's Greta right. Van Fleet. Uh the, she's not on there. Oh, not not for record of the year. I apologize. For uh Greta Van Fleet is plus 550 for best new artist of 2019. They've got to win that. Plus yeah. 550, oh, yeah. though. I mean. Plus 550. Baby <laughs> Rexa, plus 1,000. You know that Bianca wants that one. We've got to have a, a Grammy's watch party now. Do, do we not? Oh, I, I don't see how we couldn't. Well, you're all invited um, for <laughs> Aunt Yukana. I'm Josh Dunn. Our time has come to an end on the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. We'll see you guys next week.